Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mekaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 557 with Dr. Mark McLaughlin. We recorded this episode a number of weeks ago, but I think it's so perfect for the situation we find ourselves now. He's got some pro tips on how to outthink fear. If you're experiencing some fear with this virus or other matters, he's got some pro tips and solutions. You'll learn one, how fear affects our decision making, two, how to manage your fears effectively, and three, the two techniques that help you outthink your fears. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, check your episode notes or description or drop on by awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep557 to view it outside of your podcast app. Now here's Mark's story. Dr. Mark McLaughlin is a practicing board-certified neurosurgeon, a national media commentator, author of the book Cognitive Dominance, A Brain Surgeon's Quest to Outthink Fear, and an acclaimed keynote speaker. He is the founder of Princeton Brain and Spine Care, where he practices surgery focusing on trigeminal neuralgia and cervical spine surgery. McLaughlin is also a thought leader in performance enhancement and physician hospital relations. Big thanks to Mark for sharing his wisdom with us and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provider compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com now, here's Mark. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. My pleasure to be here. Well, I'm excited to dig into your stuff. And first, let's hear. So you currently work as a neurosurgeon, but before that, you wrestled so well, you made the Hall of Fame. Tell us the story here. <laughs> well, I am from northern New Jersey, and uh, I took up wrestling as a young boy, had some very influential coaches along the way who helped me, gave me the tools to succeed. Wrestling kind of let me wet my whistle in terms of concentration and intensity. And as I got older and wanted to move on to medicine, I went on to become a doctor and I picked neurosurgery because it's the closest thing to wrestling that I could get after wrestling. Well, that's so intriguing. Please explain what's the crossover or similarities. Well, it's intense. It's grueling. It's extremely personal. There's high risks. And it just gave me the same pump and the same exhilaration that wrestling did. So I thought I got to go for it. All right. Well, so then in the midst of operating in that, literally <laughs> operating in that capacity, you made some discoveries about how to deal with fear. Can you tell us the story of, of how that came about? About 10 years ago, I got invited up to West Point to give some talks to the cadets and so I began to compile stories about patients and 
stressful events uh, during surgeries or during my decision-making processes and taking care of these patients. And so as I began to compile the stories, I'd start sharing with them things that I use to keep myself out of trouble and to save lives. And so those would be different techniques that I had in neurosurgery, but I realized that they were sort of, they were real life skills that you could use in the military or you could use in your personal life or your business life. So I began sharing some of those things with the cadets, like uh, the rules of neurosurgery for one. So rules of neurosurgery are things like never cut what you can't see, always leave a drain, never worry about a patient alone, measure millimeters and miles. These are things that are drilled into your head during your residency, but you can apply them to anything in life, like never cut what you can't see. It's one of those things in neurosurgery that you never want to close your scissors unless you know exactly what's between those two blades. But similarly, that's an allegory for life, isn't it? You never want to make an important decision or make a move unless you know exactly what's up in front of you. So that's how it all started. Well, well, that's intriguing. So you say that they keep you out of trouble in terms of, of these are just kind of best practices during the course of, of conducting a brain surgery. And then I want to know, kind of what the West Pointers want to know, what are you saying to yourself during the course of, of doing these surgeries? So those rules are ingrained in you. So you're following steps through a surgery. But usually what I try and do is get into a mindset. So before I start a surgery, I have a very specific routine. I call it my five P's. I take a pause. I think about that exact patient I'm operating on. I'll say to myself, this is a 42-year-old accountant who's been suffering from severe sciatica for five weeks. He's in excruciating pain. Uh, this is the most important day of his life. Let's get him fixed up. Then I'll move on to my plan, and that'll be my exact step-by-step -step passage through the surgery mentally. Then I'll put out a positive thought, and that's, you know, this is why you're here today. This is what you trained your whole life for. You know, you're, you're in the right spot. You're ready to go. And then lastly, what I'll do is I'll say a prayer. And a prayer for me, one might say it doesn't affect the outcome of the surgery, but it always affects me. It always calms me, and it always helps me perform better. Okay, cool. So that's the process, and, and so you're, you're working with that, and, and that is, is getting the job done for you. So then uh, let's, let's zoom into the, the typical professional who's listening here. Uh, they've got a, a different job. It uh, might be less high stakes in terms of its immediate consequences uh, in the moment. If you screw up most of our jobs, if I butcher this podcast, no one's going to die. We'll have 20,000 people uh, mad that we destroyed that hour or uh, 45 minutes of their life. So that's less than a full lifetime, though, if you multiply it out. So, But anyway, regardless, the, the stakes are, are probably, for most of us, lower hour to hour. But uh, what is at stake with regard to us when we are dealing with fear? When the mind's on fear, what's it do? It's important. It's Everything's important in, in work and, and in life and in your relationships. And, and they are life and death in some respect. They're your life. And so they're important. And I would just say that fear is, it's a universal experience that we all have. I mean, we've all experienced fear ever since we started looking under our bed before we went to bed at night, right? And it's something that we have to manage in our lives. Some people do it better than others, but we could all improve on it. So it's important to understand that, that fear is just an alarm bell going off in your mind. So there's what I see it as is almost it's Pavlovian, 
we're moving along. Things are going great. Nothing unexpected happens. We're calm. We're, we're homeostatic or we're even feeling confident or assured or secure. And then something unexpected comes to us. And that's the first inkling that we might have something different or something interfering with our goal in life. And so that unexpected event can induce some type of anticipated anxiety or stress, or let's say it's something real, something dangerous jumps into your way, you know, like an intruder in your house, then it's real fear. That's real terror. But fear is not the solution to the situation. It's only the alarm bell. Figuring out what to do about the alarm bell is what you need to focus on. And that's what I talk about in my book is how do we look at fear and unpack it into its structural components and literally map it out in our mind so that we can outthink it, so that we can know what the problem is and attack the problem. And immediately when we start doing that, our fear level goes down. It dials itself down a little bit. Well, so that's that sounds cool and appealing. And, and so can you maybe let us in on perhaps the why behind that a, a bit? Yes, is, is it okay that uh, to be afraid? and to experience the fear or, or is it is it counterproductive or harmful at some level no having fear is a good thing you you never want to be free of fear imagine the stupid things we would do if we didn't have fear it's absolutely essential and you know for survival in our earlier stages of development and life on on earth i mean we wouldn't have survived without it but the thing about it, as far as the brain goes and the neurophysiology and neuroanatomy is, is that it's almost like there's an operating system that's been built on an operating system that's been built on an operating system. And all the earlier operating systems are still running in your brain. So the fight or flight response is still very real in your mind and in your brain and in your neuroanatomy, the circuitry. You have to be careful about that. That's great when someone is stalking you in a, you know, in a dangerous confrontation, but it's not helpful when somebody says something that might be insulting to you in a business meeting. So you need to know where your neocortex is working and how your executive function can override that. And so if we are not overriding that and we just sort of allow our, our earlier lizard operating systems uh, to grunt wild and, and do what they want to do, what could be the consequences? Well, you're going to blurt out something that you probably would regret, or you're going to act in a way that's, uh, you know, not becoming of a leader and you're not going to have the most optimal outcome. And that's the goal is the goal is to perform at your very best. So you have to recognize this. So for instance, like if I'm at a business meeting with my partners and one of my partners says something that, you know, that I, I get very irritated about and I can see that he's anxious and irritated. What I try and do, one of the things I try and do is just identify, you know, I'll say, listen, I know you're raising your voice and I am too. And that means that this is important and we, we care about this and that's a good thing but that's not gonna help us solve the problem that we need to solve. So let's talk about what the specifics are. Let's break this down and line up possible solutions. Let's start thinking about it. So identifying that is, is very helpful in this process. So certainly there's some interpersonal consequences there that you, you might really damage the relationship if you scream or <laughs> tell them exactly what you think in that moment. And then I, I guess I'm curious, even internally, what does the research have to say about how we go about, you know, thinking, processing, problem solving, creativity, decision making when we've got the, the fear OS at work? There's a lot of cross chatter among the higher functions of the brain and the lower functions. And it's really interesting how we can 
map out the neurophysiology and thought patterns of fear and see what it looks like on functional MRI scan. And there's some good studies that show that meditative mindfulness practices can decrease some of that chatter, some of that crosstalk that we have that creates anxiety and stress in our minds. So it really is an important practice to perform. And I'm a big believer in meditation for part of uh, controlling and managing fear. And is crosstalk a bad thing? Is, is that like uh, concerning when you're seeing that on the fMRIs? Yes. I mean, generally it is because it means that you're, you don't have like a focused pathway. So the brain, when we do things, it, it creates connections, neural networks. So you have a neural network for like riding a bike. That's why you can jump on a bike 20 years after you jumped on a bike the last time and you can still ride a bike. That neural network is that pattern of firing is all set. But if you have patterns of firing that are disrupted or they're not clean and clear, you're going to not think properly. You're not going to react the way you'd like to react in a situation when you need your best. Okay. Well, also then let's get into the, the particulars of, of how this is done. So you say you can deconstruct and, and look at the, the patterns and structures of fear and, and, and go after them and, and effectively outthink it. So how does this work in process and practice? Well, I talk about a technique of using lateral thinking. So uh, lateral thinking is a concept where we try to dislocate the normal thought patterns that we have when we solve problems. So normally people think linearly and logically about how to solve a problem. A good example of like lateral thinking is, you know, that the King Solomon story when the, the two uh, mothers come to King Solomon and say, will you please, this is my child, this is my child. And he says, okay, we'll solve the problem. We'll cut the baby in half and you'll each get half the baby because he sort of knew that like the real mother would say, no, 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 she can have the baby. Then he, that's how he knew who the real mother was. It's like thinking differently about things. So uh, I'll give you an example in medicine. So in medicine, you may have somebody that comes in and they've got a pretty straightforward problem. Let's say, let's say they have a headache and a stiff neck and a fever and you know, their roommate had meningitis two days ago, you immediately jump to the conclusion, ah, they've got meningitis. Okay, well, that's one, that's a logical stepwise progression. But a lateral thought process would be, what are three other things that could be causing this that I haven't thought of? And that's really important to do in medicine and I think in business too. So we, we usually jump to the first solution, but the first solution isn't always necessarily the right solution or the best solution. So if you can sort of train your mind to think of other solutions, and even if they don't seem the best one right away, just get them on paper, talk about it with other people. You can at sometimes come up with better solutions than you initially thought of. So lateral thinking is another technique that I, I talk about. And it's, it's very important in medicine, but I think it can also help in business. And so, and that helps you with getting more ideas. Does it also help with the fear? I think so, because again, your fear comes when something is unknown. The more you know, in general, the less fear or stress or anxiety one has. So in my opinion, that, that would be another way of just using your brain to sort of dial down the fear measure in your brain. Definitely. Okay. And then what are your pro tips in terms of, of staying calm in, in, in high pressure situations? Maybe you've got some fear associated with entering them, or maybe you just, the stakes are high, whether or not you're, you've got butterflies in your stomach. Right. I mean, the most important thing is, is really to, to be yourself. That's a, 
that I always try and say, like, be yourself. Don't try to be anybody else. I use some a technique called narrating the room. So when I'm, you know, uh, flummoxed with something, I'll, I'll start with, okay, I need to think this through everybody and I'll speak aloud. All right. I was expecting to see this, but I don't see this right now. So let's take a step back. I've made an incision over the frontal area. I've gone down through the skull and I just literally will talk myself through exactly where I was and where I went. And uh, it's funny because I had a chance to interview Sanjay Gupta for this book. And when I was telling him about this, he said, oh yeah, I do that all the time. That's, I narrate the room. I narrate the room. And so that's a process of talking things through, even again, acknowledging, okay, it's a little stressful here right now, everybody. I understand we, we need to, you know, we're missing you know, let's say there's during a surgery, we oftentimes have to count for the sponges. The sponges have to be exactly correct at every moment during the surgery. And sometimes the sponge count is off. And so that needs to be checked very carefully. And people are getting worked up about it. I'm like, okay, we're going to find it. I just look through the wound. I don't see it there. Let's look through all the collection papers that we have, the collection bags. We'll get through it. Standard process. So all, just talking about, I think, is a very important part of it and being oneself. Those two techniques are helpful. Well, well, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, it's been interesting writing a book. It took me about four years to do this. And gosh, it was such a huge effort, but I'm thrilled that it's done. I feel like I've got a frame around a body of knowledge, you know, and I feel like being a, a neurosurgeon has helped me think about fear and stress in a different way. I have a, a lens on the world that other people don't have, but I think the techniques to to solve it are really transferable to anyone. In fact, I talk to my young wrestlers about it sometimes. I mean, I told them about, you know, sometimes when I, I feel overwhelmed and, uh, you know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm in over my head and I just step back and I say, no, I'm not. Go to your basics. Talk about it. You know, talk about your exact basics for wrestlers. You know, that's like risk control and control the tie-ups and things. So I said, whenever you feel like you're out of your league, you're wrestling somebody too good, go back to your basics. Risk control. Control the tie-ups. Focus on what you do. Get back to your referee's position. And I think everybody feels it. And the better we, we cope with it, the better we're going to perform. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? My favorite quote of all time is Julie Andrews. Some people regard discipline as a chore. For me, it's an order which sets me free to fly. Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I talk about this in the book, the, the story of the invisible gorilla, when everybody's focused on the task of counting basketballs and passing and how they literally miss a gorilla 50% of the time that walks across the screen. I just think that's such an interesting concept to understand that we all have blind spots. Everybody has blind spots. And when you know you have a blind spot, you're less likely to miss something. And how about a favorite book? I love The Traveler's Gift. That's a book by Andy Andrews. It's a story of a person that goes through time and meets a number of famous individuals, King Solomon, Abe Lincoln, uh, Christopher Columbus, and Frank. And it's just literally like getting a summation of their philosophy in a very short time. And it's a book that I gave my father and we shared a lot of, lot of discussions over that book. So I, re I really love that. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I use an app called 10% Happier, which is a great meditation app. Dan Harris wrote a book called 10% Happier, a guide to meditation for fidgety skeptics. And there's a, the only app I've ever purchased on my phone is 10% Happier. It's a beautiful compilation of guided meditations 
anywhere to help you sleep, to uh, help you think more positively and have more gratitude. I'm thrilled with it. I've been using it for over a year and I highly recommend it. And how about uh, a favorite habit? Sounds like that might be it. <laughs> or maybe you've got another one. <laughs> My morning habit is, is very important to me. I do three things and that's I meditate, I file. I have a, the, da- the old-fashioned David Allen filing system with 31 files for the days of the month and then 12 files for the months and the one extra file, which I call my someday maybe. So I file, look at my file for that day. And then lastly, I'm a Franklin planner guy. I use a a paper book because I can't see the month and the week as well as I can on my phone. So I work on my Franklin planner and I plan my day out. I call it my triple threat. My triple threat is if I do that, those three things five to six times a week, I'm going to really do a lot of good work. Okay. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks as you're sharing your wisdom here? One of the moms and friends of mine in uh, our wrestling club, she has a great quote, which I love too, is, and that is gentle pressure applied relentlessly. I've always loved Mm. that gentle pressure applied relentlessly. And I think that's truly how you get better. That's how I've, I've worked on myself and over the years, and that's what works. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My website, markmclaughlinmd.com, uh, has a number of videos, talks about the book, and I have a blog that, that talks about a number of these topics. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I would say just be present, be yourself, and keep getting a little bit better every day. Gentle pressure applied relentlessly. All right. Mark, this has been fun. Thanks, and, and good luck in your adventures. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Peter. I really like the way Mark put a, a nice, fine point on the notion that fear comes when something is unknown, and the more you know about that thing, the less fear or stress or anxiety you're going to have. I've thought back to Mark's words on numerous occasions when feeling some stress, some fear, some anxiety about stuff, whether it's, hey, just how far down is this market going to go with the coronavirus? I don't know. Are we going to lose everything? It was like, well, hey, you know what? We could take a gander at the, what happened historically during uh, certain situations. And then really, uh, what's the lowest? I looked at the S&P's book value and then the price to book ratio to get a sense for just how low that could conceivably go. And I bought a put option in order to to offset a little bit. Should that happen? Just feel like a little bit of a hedge or insurance. And now I have less fear associated with what the, the market is going to do because I, I learned more. I, I did some research and then that demystified it. My wife and I, we've been thinking about doing a move and it's like, I don't know, you know, there's so much uncertainty associated with different places. And so then I was able to really get a sense in terms of talking to people and doing some research on the neighborhoods and the areas and what sorts of things are, are present there. And then there is less unknown stuff and there's less fear associated with that as an option. So that's just hugely valuable. And I, I've taken to asking myself, it was like, boy, what thing that could I know that would make me feel a lot better? Like, boy, I'd feel a lot better if this, kind of like the hypothesis-driven thinking or the two questions that improve every decision, little solo episode. I mentioned there, but with a twist toward fear busting. And what I also love is that once you've busted that fear, you kind of can can take a breath and uh, go laterally, as, as Mark might say, and, and generate more options. So, so great stuff. If you are experiencing fears, whether it's because of a, a pandemic or because of some other stuff, good pro tips to rely upon to reduce that and, and make wiser decisions uh, rationally as opposed to 
being, you know, jerked around by, by that emotion. Anywho, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep557. If you haven't already, hope you'll push subscribe. You'll catch your next guest, Michael Hyatt. He is talking about putting forth a vision and how that inspires and corrals folks together in some great ways. Hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.